It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. You are Locked On Magic, your daily podcast on the Orlando Magic, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And you are indeed Locked On Magic. Today is April 8th. 2020, a happy belated 407 day to everyone. My name is Philip Rossman-Reich. I'm the expert insight editor over at orlandomagicdaily.com. You can find me on Twitter at philiprr underscore omd. On today's episode of Locked On Magic, we're going to start taking a look at one of the best teams in Magic history as a Locked On NBA podcast network, at least, is celebrating the best teams in each franchise's history as we discuss the 2009 Orlando Magic as well as the 2009 Denver Nuggets with Adam Morris of Locked On Nuggets. So definitely a fun conversation, a, a different way to look at uh, at one of the best teams in Magic history through the perspective of, of, of another team and perhaps a matchup of how those two teams would have faced off two of the best teams in their respective franchises' histories in the NBA Finals. So definitely a fun conversation coming up in just a moment. But before we do any of that, I do want to remind you all you can check out all the great podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network by searching Gravity Download Podcasts for Locked On and the team you're looking for. Just like this podcast here covering the Orlando Magic with excruciating detail, this podcast covering every single team in the NBA with the same level of care and detail that you can only find from a local expert who knows their team best. Like Locked On Nuggets, our good pals with the Denver Nuggets. You can check the, check them out for their perspective. They are currently re-watching every single game of the 2009 Denver Nuggets run to the Western Conference Finals, where they unfortunately met the same fate the Orlando Magic faced, losing to the Los Angeles Lakers. Boo! Uh, Check that podcast out, as well as the other great podcasts on the Locked On Podcast Network by searching wherever you download podcasts for Locked On and the team you're looking for. The Locked On Podcast Network, it's your team every day. So like I said, uh, we're, we're going to talk a little bit about the 2009 Magic here. I'll, I'll set the table a little bit before we get there, but I do want to hit a couple of news items. First item of news, uh, Adam Silver uh, was on with Ernie Johnson to discuss the NBA and, and, and discuss a few other things with him. Uh, and he did mention that as things stand right now, the NBA is, is not considering uh, even broaching the topic of, of restarting the season until the end of the month. Uh, you know, certainly here in Orlando, uh, here in Florida, we are under a stay-home order from the state until April 30th. Um, and so certainly there's there's no chance the league is going to be able to restart with uh, so many teams under these stay-home orders uh, while, while, uh, while government officials and while medical professionals try to get a hold of the, you know, kind of get a handle and slow down the spread of the coronavirus. Um, it is not looking likely that, that we'll have games for a little while longer. Um, certainly, uh, there's 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 the planning as well of how to restart the season, how long of a run-up teams need. But uh, in any case, it, you know, it's it's going to be kind of an unprecedented return to uh, to the court when whenever the whenever teams get back to the court. Um, it, it, that's just that's just the way the way it's going to be uh, for for now and the way things have to be 
for a little while. It's, it's you know, the teams are going to need, you know, because they've been so out of rhythm. And, and frankly, so most players around the league do not have their own basketball courts, um, do not have their own hoops. So they are not going to be able to, uh, they're not going to be able to even train or, or touch a basketball um, until they get back in the, into practice facilities, into training facilities. And so it's going to be at least a two-week kind of return to training camp. Um, it's going to be at least that long to even entertain playing games. I think a lot of teams are going to want at least another week or so of, of regular season games just to kind of get back in the swing of things before we get to high-level playoff games. So it's it's going to be a little while. Now, one thing that, that does concern me, at least, um, and maybe this deserves a little more time than I'm going to give it, um, but one thing that does concern me in all of this is that I do think that it is imperative that the league make the first 65 games, or Orlando's play 65 games, the first 65 games mean something. Um, I think that it is absolutely vital that the, the league does not just throw out the first 65 games. Um, and, and what I mean by this is, is not, not to say every team or, or the league should only just start the playoffs. I, I don't think that. I do think that there should be a regular season, and, and I, I do think that the NBA should be willing to try something new. Um, being in an unprecedented time, being in an unprecedented situation, should give the league leeway to experiment with some things. You want to have a midseason tournament? Here's your chance to test it out. You want to have a play-in tournament? Here's your chance to test it out. The big ideas that I've seen going around the league right now, or going around among among bloggers and internet folk, um, is is to have Every team go to one location, which I think is the right call. I think if, if the league can sequester everyone into one location and you know just make sure testing is is pretty is readily available, make sure no one else gets sick, um, and, and to play the games in front of no crowd, I think that's that's the right call. Uh, you know, I don't think we're going to be ready to have teams flying around the country or fans in the building whenever the, the league starts up, whether it's in late May, whether it's in June, whether it's July. That the, the league, the, the 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 country and the world are not going to be ready for that. Um, and so, you know, going to Las Vegas, kind of booking an entire hotel and walling that hotel off from the rest of the world and just playing basketball within that setting, I think that that is probably, you know, about as good as you can do. Now, again, uh, well, the logistics of that is another question and, and far above my pay grade. But the big idea that I've seen going around is to have sort of a, a single elimination play in tournament where you have you know, the, the final eight teams, so that would be team eight through 15, just play each other for that last playoff spot in a single elimination tournament. So you'd have Orlando playing Cleveland and so on and so forth. That might work in the Western Conference where you have, you know, four teams essentially bunched up within four or five games. In the Eastern Conference, that doesn't work um, because you only have Orlando, Orlando and Brooklyn and then four and a half games later, you have Washington. So to give Washington an even chance to make, essentially an even chance to make the playoffs over Orlando and to exclude Brooklyn, to be frank, because Orlando's only half game behind Brooklyn, and to exclude Brooklyn, I think is just patently unfair. And I get it, I'm saying this from a Magic fan perspective and from a Magic perspective, but those 65 games have to mean something. The original idea that was pitched for the playing game idea was... The 7 plays the 8 seed, and the 9 plays the 10 seed. The winner of the 7-8 seed advances to the playoffs. Play, it plays in a single elimination game. The winner advances to the playoffs as the 7 seed. The 8 seed goes to the next round. 
The winner of the 9-10 game then plays the winner of the, the loser of the 7-8 game. But then that team has to beat the, the, that, that loser of the 7-8 game twice. So you always have an advantage for, and for finishing higher in the standings. Obviously, these are unprecedented times. And obviously, you know, especially you, you want to find a system that is uniform for both conferences. Um, you can't have a, a specially tailored system for each conference. So something's going to be patently unfair here. But I do think that it is important. And again, I get it. I'm saying this as a Magic person. And 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 I, I want to see the Magic make playoffs. Because frankly, I consider the Magic already in. It would take a monumental collapse for the Magic to miss the playoffs. But let's say Cleveland picks the Magic off in the first round. You're telling me that one game erases 65? That the Magic worked hard? For 65 games, you put themselves in an advantageous position just to have that taken away from them in one game, on one bad night. The beauty of the NBA, and frankly, the beauty of the NBA playoffs is one bad night is never the reason you lose. In a playoff series, you have seven chances. You have seven games to win four. That gives you the leeway to have one bad night. And I get it. When we get to the playoffs... That first round game is probably going to be best of three. And honestly, it, it might be a top seed gets one, bottom seed has to win two. It's going to probably be a best of three, which is which is more variable than, than anything else, which is still a little more variable. The next round is probably going to be best of five. We're not going to have a full, complete you know playoffs like we would in a normal situation. I get that. You know, but at the same time, making the playoffs is a season-long accomplishment. Again, say what you want about the Eastern Conference and whether the Magic are a playoff team. I'm not here for those arguments. The Magic are a playoff team in the Eastern Conference. That's true. That is a fact. Or it should be a fact. Honestly, the Magic would probably be close to clinching. I mean, uh, we're we're coming up on, you know, April 15th would would have been the end of the season. We're coming up here on a week until the end of the regular season. The Magic might have clinched a playoff spot on Sunday against Philadelphia. They might have clinched a playoff spot on Wednesday against New York. The Magic would have probably been in with plenty of time to spare and fighting for the seventh seed, which again is also part of my debate is you can't, I personally feel like you can't just gift Brooklyn that seventh seed and make Orlando work for it. That feels very arbitrary. I get there will be no perfect and no easy solution. But I do think if you're going to plan on a single elimination tournament like this, those that first round especially, the lower seed needs to beat the top seed twice to, to advance. The ma- a team like the Magic that has put themselves so far ahead of the other teams in the race deserves an advantage. And no matter how the NBA season looks like when it start, when it restarts, and no matter what format the NBA decides to use to, to, to make it worth everyone's time to ship out to whatever location and play X amount of games, and I think a play-in tournament using every team, including the ones that are so far out of the playoffs, I do think that that is something the league has to explore and probably should implement in some fashion. Again, just to make it worth the while of going out there but I still think it needs to advantage the regular season. 
We have played the majority of this regular season. We played more than three quarters of this regular season. That cannot be ignored and cannot be thrown out because of these unprecedented times. For a team like the Magic, the playoffs are still valuable. You know, maybe for to a franchise like Orlando, they'd be more valuable because of the home gate and the ticket sales. But for such a young team, and this is still a very young Magic team, they are still valuable. And honestly, even going through the process of winning a play-in tournament would be valuable. Valuable playoff experience for this team. Just like playing those high-intensity games in the real playoffs would be valuable for this team. And they shouldn't have that taken completely away from them or you know, almost all away from them with the work that they put in already. That's, that's my two cents on things. But that's, that's where I sit on this topic. Before we talk a little bit about the 2009 Orlando Magic, we're really talking about them and watching some of these older games because, you know, there's there's not a lot of sports going on. If you haven't already, uh, Zach Oliver of Orlando Pinstripe Post and I went back and watched the Orlando Magic's win over the Los Angeles Lakers from January on Monday's episode of Locked on Magic. Definitely go back into the archives and check that out. But sports have indeed come to a screeching halt. There, there was no one shining moment on Monday. There's no baseball to look forward to. There's no golf. The Masters were this week. No golf to look forward to. And with... Everything benched. Our friends at MyBookie are not going to let you get let it get you down. Stay sane and stay entertained with access to your favorite casino games like blackjack, roulette, slots, war. Yeah, you can bet on war and more. Well, not that war, the card game war. It doesn't matter whether you're out on the front lines or quarantined at home. The fun doesn't have to come to an end with MyBookie. Video poker, not your thing, but still need a fix. They've got you covered with a host of live casino dealers online. That's right. They have professional dealers at their tables, live on site, 24-7. Your favorite squad sideline because of the pandemic. Don't sweat it. MyBookie has partnered with some of the leading esports brands to bring you wagers on virtual action straight from the court in NBA 2K20. Plus, you can always do your part to make your bankroll greater again by taking advantage of shifting odds on political bets. You can trust the industry leaders in times like these. They're reliable, upright, and best of all, they pay fast when you win. Visit mybookie.ag and use promo code LOCKEDONNBA for a 150% bonus on your first casino deposit. That's promo code LOCKEDONNBA to receive a 150% cash bonus on your first deposit, and you can claim those extra funds all the way up to $750. Use promo code LOCKEDONNBA to activate the offer again, for the 20th time, that's promo code LOCKEDONNBA. You spin, you win, you get paid. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 
So the conversation today is going to talk about two things here. Two of these franchises' most beloved and best teams. In 2009, the Orlando Magic were a young team. Dwight Howard still coming into his own. They had advanced to the second round for the first time in a dozen years. Won the Southeast Division Championship or won a division championship for the first time in a dozen years. And the Orlando Magic were a nice young team that people thought were good, but maybe not championship caliber. That seemed to change fairly quickly, but maybe not fully until they realized that the Magic were in the NBA Finals. Orlando finished the season 59-23. and Even after Jameer Nelson went out in January, their all-star Jameer Nelson, they had three all-stars on that team, they went out and acquired Rafer Alston, and the rest, as they say, was history. Orlando defeated the Philadelphia 76ers 4-2 in an extremely close series that required a game-winning shot from Hito Turkoglu in Game 4 for the Magic to tie that series, and a his heroic effort from my man Marcin Gortat in Game 6 uh, with Dwight Howard suspended. They went on to defeat the Boston Celtics in seven games in the second round, winning both Game 6 and 7, including Game 7 on the road in the Garden, well, the TD Garden, at least, um, defeating the, the Kevin Garnett-less Boston Celtics in a physical, bloody defensive battle, of de- dethroning the defending champs. And then Orlando put it to the king, defeating LeBron James and Cleveland Cavaliers 4-2 behind a barrage of three-point shots from Hito Turkoglu and Richard Lewis, most of all, and then Dwight Howard dominating the middle with perhaps his best game of his career in Game 6 of that series to close out the Cleveland Cavaliers. Orlando did run into the buzzsaw that was the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, most Magic fans know the story. Kobe Bryant was really good and is a really good basketball player. And he beat up the Orlando Magic pretty good in that series, uh, winning his first NBA Finals MVP. Orlando played it close, losing in overtime in Game 2 and Game 4, both in heartbreaking fashion. And the Magic... Waited on, the si- waited on the sideline as the Lakers celebrated on their court in Game 5, a five-game series, hoping that they would get back there again. The Magic, of course, would never would not get back there again, and they're very much picking, still picking up the pieces after that finals loss, or after Dwight Howard's departure a few years later. The 2009 Denver Nuggets were actually in a very similar boat. They had a young Carmelo Anthony who everyone knew was coming into his own as one of the most dynamic scorers in the league. They had paired him with Allen Iverson, which was a little bit of a your-turn-my-turn relationship as both players were high-volume scorers. But the Denver Nuggets truly became NBA championship contenders when they traded for Chauncey Billups. Now they had a point guard who could manage everything on the roster, who could dominate on really both ends of the floor and give the Nuggets the gravitas that they needed. With a veteran coach in George Carl and nice role players in Nene, Kenyon Martin, J.R. Smith, as well as Chris Anderson coming off the bench, the Nuggets had a dynamic and really dangerous team that history is kind of completely forgotten. They went 54 and 28 that year, racing through the first two rounds of the playoffs, beating the New Orleans Hornets in five and the Dallas Mavericks in five as well, with the Mavericks upsetting the Spurs in the first round. They ran into the Los Angeles Lakers and played two very close games in the first four games of that series to to have that series tied at two apiece. But the Lakers ultimately, like they did against the Magic, had the championship poise, winning that series 4-2 
advancing to the second to the NBA Finals once again and leaving the Denver Nuggets at home trying to pick up some of the pieces. In Carmelo Anthony's career, while his scoring was relatively down to 22.8 points per game, this was as close as he ever got to winning a championship and perhaps his best all-around season. Last week, Carmelo Anthony was on Dwayne Wade's Instagram Live show. He went on, and, and as I'll explain again here later, claimed quite boisterously, and I, again, I can't blame players for you know believing, believing this. They, they're, they're confident guys. Claimed quite boisterously that that was the Nuggets here. That if they had gotten to the NBA Finals, that they would have beaten the Orlando Magic. Not just beaten the Orlando Magic, they would have swept the Orlando Magic. This deserved getting put to the test a little bit. And in order to do that, it was time to open up some old wounds and discuss things with our pal Adam Morris of Locked On Nuggets as well as DNVR, a website that he uh, co-owns and writes for. In this conversation, we talk all about what made that Nuggets team as well as that Magic team special and how for small markets like Denver and Orlando, chances are few and far between and how you need to take advantage And it has been a, a time for a lot of NBA players right now to, to be a little bored and, and maybe watch a little too much NBA TV and, and, <laughs> and hang out and chat on Instagram. And, and Carmelo Anthony uh, kind of got things going for us here and inspired this meeting of the minds, so to speak. Uh, I'm joined by Adam Morris of Locked On Nuggets. Uh, Adam, first off, hope everyone, everything is going okay in your neck of the woods and, and you're staying safe and healthy. Uh, second off, how are you doing otherwise? <laughs> uh, I, I'm doing well. And, you know, it's it's kind of funny. Like, these types of headlines, you know, the Carmelo says the Nuggets would beat the Magic or whatever. I, I almost don't get, like, don't click on these anymore. So I you have to fill me in. I know he I know that he said it, but where where did he say? What was the circumstance of him bringing this up? So Dwayne Wade is is hosting kind of Instagram lives. And and he had Carmelo Anthony. You know, they're, they're good friends, banana boat buddies. Yeah. He of had course. him on his Instagram live show. And, and and the first kind of aggregation thing that came out of it was Carmelo Anthony telling a story of how LeBron James saved his life while they were they were at the, oh, beach, at right. the beach one yeah. time. Yeah. Uh, but another thing that came out of it was Carmelo Anthony saying, you know, in 2009, when the Nuggets faced the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals, that that was their year. That if they had beaten the Lakers, yeah. they would have gone on to, to sweep the Magic and, and yeah. win the championship in 2009. And George Carl you know, ever the favorite coach here in Orlando for, for longtime Magic fans, at least. That's another story. Okay. Um, said, I, I agree completely with that. And, you know, I, I, wanted to ha- I wanted to have you on because this, or I wanted to talk to you about it because, A, you know, the, the 2009 Magic, you know, one of the best teams in Magic history. The 2009 Nuggets, I, you know, from an outsider's perspective, mm-hmm. maybe the best Nuggets team in at least yeah. NBA history, or at yeah, least in so. their NBA history. Yeah. Um, it, it, it brought up a little bit of an interesting kind of thought experiment. And, and my first kind of gut reaction when I heard Carmelo Anthony say that was no, that, that, that's, that's really? completely not, completely not true that, 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 Hey, the Nuggets would not sweep the magic. I, I think. Oh, I think he said all, sweep. Oh yeah. He said that, okay. sweep. He, he said, said sweep. sweep. He okay. said sweep. He said sweep. <laughs> um, but you know, but it, which 
which, you know, here in Orlando, we're used to tremendous amounts of disrespect. Um, yeah, of course. Uh, people kind of dismiss, you know, we're, we're small market. We, we, we get it. And, and, and so Orlando is always fighting for attention in, in some way. Um, but my first, my kind of gut reaction was, no, that's, that's completely not true. The Magic would have won, would, would win that series, it, series. And, you know, they, they played the Lakers. It was a five-game series. I, I do think the Lakers were the right team to win it. And maybe it was because I'd just kind of gotten out of listening to the book of basketball talk about game four of that series. But the Magic were a lot closer to winning the title than a lot of people think. They, they were a respectable five-game series. That was a, a very, very good Magic team. And, you know, my kind of, I've kind of always operated on the assumption, granted maybe a you know, Magic-colored glasses assumption, that Orlando would have won against almost any team in, in that playoffs uh, coming out. Uh, it certainly would have beaten the Nuggets. But I, it inspired me to go a little bit deeper into things. Mm, and, okay. and and I have to say, you know, look at, you know, I don't did not remember a lot about that Nuggets team. Because, I mean, NBA narratives and history have kind of told us that that Lakers team was a little bit of a team of destiny. But Yeah, for um, sure. I, I kind of, I started looking into it and... You know that that Nuggets team was a lot better than I think a lot of people remember. Um, so I, well, I think I'd even if you out. if you even start with but just going back to that series that they played of uh, you know in the Western Conference Finals, of course it was you know four games to two. Game one, Lakers win by two points, and they win uh, off of a stolen inbound play that's become now infamous in Denver. I mean, it was right there for Denver's taking. And then they had another one sort of slip through the cracks later on in that series. That was the same way. uh, I think game three, a 50 50 game that came down to the final minute and Denver just had an egregious turnover in the final minute. So not look, I'm a big believer in like, you can't rewrite the history the team that won is the one that should have won. So that's obviously the Lakers. But when you talk about close series, that was a six-game series with two of the losses in Denver's favor being in the final minute, 30 seconds or so. So I, I definitely think Denver was was a was very very close to the Lakers that season. Yeah, and and that's that's kind of what that's kind of the conclusion I came to. And so the first thing I wanted to ask you, at least at least for for and I think a lot of people know about that Magic team because they made the finals and in a lot of ways, yeah. that, you know, I, I kind of tend to believe that. And again, Magic colored glasses here. I tend to believe that 2009 Magic Finals team. Uh, prove to the rest of the league that the three-pointer can win games. Um, well, so that's that, how that's how I would put it, actually, is I don't know that that Magic team was a great team when you look at, like, if we evaluate them through today's eyes, and I think that's a, a little bit unfair. Two thousand, I, I think the league changed in 2011, so you're talking about 2009. We're still kind of in the old era, but the way I would put it, this, this is my perspective on the Magic that year, is that they were one of, they were ahead of their time. They were a bit of a forward-thinking team. Obviously, you know, pick and roll heavy with the white, just the enormous pressure he put on the rim on the offensive end. But then when you look at the players they had, Turkaloo, Rashad Lewis, those guys are like proto. I'm not even proto. They're stretch, they're stretch wings, right? They're stretch forwards. Mm-hmm. And um, so you had a great, a fantastic pick and roll player in Jameer Nelson, point guard with a three point shot. Dwight Howard puts the pressure on the rim. And then you had length around the perimeter that could also shoot. So to me, especially at that time, they were just so far ahead of the curve, and I think that's a lot of what made them dynamic. Yeah, for sure. Um, and 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 I think it caught a lot of teams off guard. Um, you know, I I would venture to guess though that if Kevin Garnett were healthy in the second round, they they don't beat the Celtics. So I think they were definitely mm, they yeah. definitely took advantage of the path laid ahead of them. But 
Um, you know, they took down a very good Cleveland team. I mean, LeBron at the height of his powers in Eastern Conference Finals. They they also not only a phenomenal took, LeBron performance. Like that was that, that was one of the all time great performances in a that, loss. Two, that two thousand nine Eastern Conference Finals series from LeBron might be the best playoff series I've seen from any player. Like he yeah. he carried like. Game, everyone talks, I mean, I think partially because they won the series, but everyone talks about that game. I think it was game five in the series against the Pistons in 07 when LeBron mm-hmm. kind of carried that team to the end in overtime. And, and, and that, that was kind of yeah. the official, the Pistons are done. Um, right. Game five of that series against the Magic, he did very much the same thing and took over that game to extend it out to game six in Orlando. And I can tell you, people in Orlando were really worried heading into game six. And it took, honestly... In my opinion, Dwight Howard's best career game, best game of his career. I think he scored forty points uh, to to end that series and 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 kind of and send Cleveland home and 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 it was it, it always felt like that Magic team was kind of on the precipice because they didn't have the go to guy uh, offensively. I mean, Dwight Howard yeah. was Dwight Howard has a lot of gravity, you know, demanded a lot of attention, but late in games, you know, you you didn't have a perimeter guy who can break you down off the dribble. I mean, Hito Turkoglu. Magic fans here know he hit a lot of big shots. He had a big shot against Philadelphia. He had a big shot in uh, in the in the Cleveland series. Rashard Lewis had his fair of big share of big shots, but they really didn't have a guy that was gonna kind of take it down one take you down one on one and win a game at the end. And, and honestly, that I think was that was a huge problem in the final series against the Lakers. And honestly, it w- is an interesting would be an interesting aspect if if the Magic had matched up with the Nuggets. But uh, you know, we talked about what made the Magic so special. What made that 09 Nuggets team so special? What, what, what kind of clicked for them to, to get to where they got? I think what made the Nuggets special that year, first of all, they had an incredibly underrated point guard in Cha- Chauncey Billups. And I, I should mention, um, you know, a little, I, little bit I, under, a little bit underrated there. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was incredible. But so I, I, we are rewatching over at DNVR, my site that I write for and, and, and I'm a partner in where you're rewatching that 2009 series, all of the games are on uh, YouTube. I think even for the magic as well under the same account. So you can both Eastern conference, Western Conference, the whole 2009 playoffs for whatever reason are on YouTube. And uh, so we're watching the series and I'm blown away. You know, we're watching everything now in basketball through the eyes of 2020. And in 2009 efficiency just was not the buzzword. That wasn't the thing you thought about. I think it was important. It was I think even back then it was how games were won or lost. We just didn't think of them that way. So watching Chauncey now and just how efficient he is in everything that he does, when he's on the court, the Nuggets are just an incredible basketball team. The ball goes where it's supposed to. So starting with him, and it's funny, he's one of the guys that before this was a stat, he was a guy whose effective – or actually true shooting percentage was uh, so much higher than his just regular field goal percentage. Of course, in 2009 – we're not talking about effective field goal percentage, true shoot. We're not thinking about those things, but Chauncey drew an enormous amount of fouls, got to the foul line a lot, and he shot a lot of three-pointers. And back, and that was before it was really cool to do any of that. So he was he was incredible. And then Denver just had a lot of depth. They, they basically run eight deep with high-caliber uh, NBA players. You know, Kenyon Martin, Nene in the front court. You also had uh, Birdman Anderson, who was really good, um, backing him up. Uh, J.R. Smith coming off of the bench who, you know, we award game balls after every game. I think J.R. Smith has two of those off of the bench. Birdman has one of them. So they just had a lot of depth, a lot of players that you could throw at you. And then, of course, Carmelo at that point, I think that was probably Carmelo's best season of his career 
and that you know he was the most efficient he was uh, at any point and he was capable of putting up 40 or 50 on any night so they were really well-rounded and they had a star scorer in Carmelo Anthony yeah and I I think when I was kind of looking deeper into that matchup that that's what really stood out to me like yes it was the furthest, the farthest Carmelo's ever gotten in the playoffs, and and I think that's that's always worth mentioning of a player. Um, but I, I, his scoring was down, but it, it still, you know, like even kind of thinking back to it, it, it felt like that was still the best he had played because well, a, it was he, down because he wasn't shooting. So I, I think yeah. that's I think being down is actually a positive for Carmelo. I, I agree. Because, yeah, because one of the things about him and his career is just that he's been. He hasn't shot selection isn't in his vocabulary, but he, that was the one. It's year. almost like it's almost like, I mean, he had to take all those shots. I mean, and, oh, he and, had to, yeah. And, uh, I mean, he's always been on teams where it was him and nobody else, and you know, every every team could probably go through a list of guys, and and I kind of have a theory, you know, being watching a rebuilding team for so long, that you know, it's not that you know rebuilding teams have necessarily bad players. So a lot of them do. That not every player is good, but the good players on bad teams are often asked to do more than they're capable of doing. And, and it's not that Carmelo Anthony mm-hmm. isn't capable of going out there and shooting 25 times and scoring, you know, 30, 40 points and keeping you in a game. He's certainly capable of doing that, but it's winning at a high level. You got to, you've got to understand how to get everyone involved and, and yeah, when but, to pick your spots to dominate. But you know what? I don't think that's what it was with Carmelo that year. Mm-hmm. The way I would put it, and this is just, again, the difference between 2009 and 2020 is Carmelo didn't do anything else besides score and scoring is the most important thing in basketball. This is not like a, a yeah. huge <laughs> knock on him, but like you, you, that's how you win. You score more points. He was a scorer, but when he wasn't scoring, you know, he wasn't a great facilitator. He, the, in 2009, I think he passed out of the double team, you know, a little bit better. You know, he was more willing to pass out of double teams and things like that. But for the most part, he just took on the role of, of scorer, like isolation scorer. And they ran a lot of plays for him to be a one-on-one playmaker. But when it wasn't him, the 60% of possessions he's on the court where they're not calling an isolation specifically for him. Chauncey did everything else. And I think to me, that's, that's what was different. You got to have both things in the NBA. You have to have the, you know, the floor general and the the go-to guy and all the other years, they didn't have that. And if you asked Melo to do that, I don't think they even asked him to do that, but he couldn't, um, you know, I don't, he wasn't a great facilitator and he was a really good scorer. But I think what it was, was you brought Chauncey in and Chauncey did everything. He got the ball where it was supposed to go. He managed the game. He, um, you know, he could run pick and roll with just about any player. He could, he just understood how to do everything, all the table setting, every single possession. And Carmelo was the isolation scorer. He didn't have to do anything else. And so I think having Chauncey's leadership and having his just ability to be the multi-tool that that's what opened up the team for me. And that's why watching it, it's funny. If you go into the advanced stats, you know, Chauncey was the number one win shares guy, box plus minus guy, like all that stuff by a mile. It wasn't even close, but Mello was the guy that could score you 40. And so they, they together, I think they, they helped make that a complete team. Yeah. And, and you know, it always seems like on those kind of budding teams, one of the last pieces that they always need is a guy who's been there and, and, you know, Everyone respects everyone respects Allen Iverson, but like having Iverson and Carmelo Anthony, you know, it, it, it you know just even looking at the at the stats, it felt like it was kind of a your turn my turn type deal with him and Carmelo Anthony. They just they they were both dynamic scorers, but maybe not the best fits around each other. Whereas well, also look at all the knuckleheads they had on that team. You're talking about yeah. J.R. Smith, Kenyon Martin, Birdman Anderson. I mean, you had a lot of personality. Yeah. So Chauncey, I think being just one of the great, the truly great leaders the NBA has seen. 
he was a guy that was needed to kind of like make those guys. Iverson, as great as he is, I don't think his role was to be like, oh, look at all these knuckleheads. I'm going to go make them not knuckle. That was, that wasn't Iverson's job. Yeah, especially at that stage of his career. Because, you know, Iverson's, Iverson's only going to play one way. And, and I'm a big Allen Iverson fan. But it, it's, sure. you know, Allen Iverson, like I, I always felt even at his best, you're not going to win with him playing the way that he plays because he only can go one speed and that's with the ball and doing the things that he did. And, and, and like you said, Chauncey Billups, just such a great table setter for everybody. He just, uh, he just puts everyone in the right spot. And, you know, I, I really, I, I definitely think, you know, I think you can even see with the stats of that, that they really turn their season around. I mean, you're looking at a team in 09 that had a top 10 offense by offensive rating, a top 10 defense by defensive rating. They were, legitimately a very good team. It made even better uh, when Chauncey Billups arrived. And that's, and I think that's one of the things, I think one of the things I'm sure you've looked at, and maybe one of the things that, that sort of has formed your analysis is looking at, okay, net ratings, where does Orlando rank? Where's Denver? Chauncey arrived after training camp, after the season had already begun. So Denver actually adjusted to Chauncey on the fly. And if you look at the first half of the season, you know, they were clearly getting to know each other and there was, you know, they were a pretty good team down the stretch. They were an incredible team. They, they started not just winning, but they had a bunch of, at that time, Carmelo was one of the biggest names in the league. So Denver was like a marquee team at that point. They were kind of like the Kevin Durant, uh, Russell Westbrook, Oklahoma city thunder, the small market team mm-hmm. that had a big draw. So they was that, were, was that on, the year, was that the year that Nike ran those Utah fans of Denver ad in the first round? Or something? I don't know this one. What well, is this? There's there, I don't know if it was that season, but there was a season where Nike ran these these big ads. Um, it, it was it was not this season because because they don't play the Jazz this season. But there was there's a season where the the Nuggets played the Jazz in the first round. It might have been the following season. It might have been 2010. Utah. Yeah, yeah, and they and they ran these ads, you know, with Carmelo with Carmelo Anthony saying. We cheer for the Jazz, but we are Carmelo Anthony fans. Utah, <laughs> Utah fans for Carmelo. It's it the weirdest ad. And like the first time you saw it, you're like, was, was that an ad? Uh, what what was that? Yeah, that's terrible. That's horrible <laughs> is what it is. Uh, no, but Denver, um, down the stretch of that season was just, they were really starting to turn it on. And obviously it, it manifests itself in the playoffs 4-1 over um, – the Hornets with a 50 point win amongst one of those four wins, the largest in NBA playoff history. And then a four, one win over the Mavericks with the one loss coming by two. So they, they had, I mean, they, they were a pretty they stormed through, they stormed through those first two rounds of the playoffs. And yes, they, they did. They, they played team. Dallas, Dallas upset San Antonio, but they, they stormed through the, those first two rounds. Watching the, the both of those series, it's almost laughable how bad. And I say this, <laughs> of course, relative to the time they were fine when they were average, whatever, but you know, you've got um, you've got some really not great players playing key roles in both of those series. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I think it's easy to think, especially with the way way some broadcasters talk about the old days of the NBA or, or older games. It's it's sometimes easy to forget that some of those first two round matchups are are not good at all. Now, like uh, obviously here in Orlando, like the Magic really really struggled, and and I feel like. I feel like when we, when like when Magic fans at least look back at, at 2009, it I think a lot of fans kind of view it as destiny almost that the Magic made it there and like of course the Magic made it. They had Dwight Howard yeah. who was a top five player, but you know they lost the first game of their playoffs. Uh, Andre Godala hitting a game winning shot to take home court advantage from Orlando. Yeah. They were down two one to the Sixers in the first round when Hito Turkoglu made a three pointer to win game four. Oh um, yeah, 
Yeah, and and Boston, of course, you know they were down three two, had to win Game Six on their home floor, which was a very good Dwight Howard game, and then blew out the Celtics in Game Seven on the road to to advance to the Eastern Conference Finals. So from there, certainly the confidence was flowing. They had a really favorable matchup. I mean, believe it or not, Magic just had a very favorable matchup with Cleveland. Um, yeah. They just they gave Cleveland all kinds of problems with Dwight Howard's mobility and their shooting. Yeah. Um, but it, but Orlando, I, I think. I think, you know, again, like my gut reaction when, when Carmelo said what he said was, of course Orlando would win. Because to, to, at least to Magic fans, the 09 Magic are almost unassailable. Like I tell people I think the 2010 version of the Magic were better than 2009, and I get a lot of hate for that. Oh, but I, I, think, I think that the, the 2009 Magic had a lot of flaws that they were always able to cover up. They were always able to recover. And, and of course, you know, good teams have to find a way to cover for their flaws. Yeah. But they always found a way to to gut out wins at the end at the end of the day and at the end of the game, uh, and and it was not like I mean Denver certainly playing at a high level to get to the Western Conference Finals for Orlando it was not an easy road and, and I think that we I think it's easy to forget some of those struggles that the Magic went through to get to where to to get to the finals because because again when you look back in hindsight. Of course, the finals seemed like destiny. It's, it's just that that is the finals team, and there's there's sure. no there's not necessarily the struggle getting there. I uh, the other thing is I just don't know that that kind of stuff matters. I think it's funny. Look, mm-hmm. a blowout four zero win that's great. You feel good about it, but at the end of the day, if you get there, you got there. And and yep. sometimes we have seen teams that have struggled in early rounds uh, that have then gone on to like dominate in the finals. And it's just, I mean, you never know sometimes where the, the real challenge is coming. The 08, the 08 Celtics, didn't they go Atlanta? seven games the first two rounds? Was it Atlanta and Toronto? What were the two? It I was can't Atla- Atlanta, Atlanta, Atlanta in the first, first series. And then they played, Chicago, I want to say Cleveland, they played Cleveland. Okay. Cause they beat so, Miami yeah. and they beat Miami in the conference finals, if I'm not mistaken. No, they yes. didn't beat Miami. So it, 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 either yeah. way, it's just that it, yeah. sometimes that's how it goes. And, so I don't I, I think if you make it I, one of the dumbest things I think we do collectively, and I don't mean you and me, I just mean people that analyze and talk about games like this is the, when you start to contextualize big, like, oh, well, they didn't really win this or look at how they struggled here. Say, hey, man, you, you won got there. You got there. And like, it doesn't matter how which way it is. And honestly, most of these series, even if there's two or three blowouts, there's always one game where it's like, oh, that foul in the fourth quarter changed things or that three or whatever. And um, so you get there in my book, you get there. playoffs are right around the corner and locked on nba is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama every monday jackson gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league helping to break down the nba playoffs mark your calendars to listen to locked on nba every monday to be up to date locked on nba available on youtube and wherever you get podcasts part of the locked on podcast network your team every day uh, you know, one I, I do think that you know, not I, I I agree with you that you that you can't go rewrite history. You can't go say, oh, you know, if you know if if these two teams had matched up or you know this this would have happened or, or the or the other thing. I, I think the Lakers were the right team to win the title that year. Um, you know, I think you know I'm I'm curious what you think the Lakers did specifically to to eventually beat the Nuggets in, in that in that six game series because I, I imagine it's 
very similar to what the what they did to the Magic at the end of the day. It, it, because that series was 11 years ago, I don't really remember, you know, we're going to watch it next week, and I'm sure a lot of these details will come back to me. But what I remember of it from 11 years ago was two things. Number one, there was turnovers in game one and game three. Um, and uh, inbound plays, final minutes that got stolen um, that I think you look at that and you go, okay, your tie game, 30 seconds left, 45 seconds, whatever it is, and you turn the ball over, that's that's the game. So what happens if you don't do that? You get the two-for-one opportunities. You, your odds of winning at least one of those games goes way up. So that's the first thing, and I think that's the most obvious thing. The second thing um, was just the front line. Denver's strength was they had uh, four bigs that they could throw at uh, just about anybody. They were a really, really tall team, and um, but – the Lakers had Pau Gasol, Bynum, and Odom. That that was their strength as well. So it was strength for strength, and Denver's got a little bit of the short end of that, um, you know, just coming up a little bit short. But Carmelo was great. Kobe was great in the series. Those guys kind of canceled each other out. It was just, it was a really, really close series. It really – it was just those inbounds plays. It, and, and I know this is how get basketball goes, but it was just a couple bounces in the wrong direction for Denver. And, it, it of course, it felt like the Lakers were the team of destiny, so a lot of people, I think, overlook it. But – that was a really close series, and two of those games were lost on inbound plays in the final minute. Yeah, I mean, it, def- it definitely feels like that was a closer series. I mean, I, I was kind of perusing box scores, and, and it felt like, to me at least, one of the things, and, and again, it, you'll, you'll, uh, uh, this may be something to watch out for, and, and I, this might be viewing it from a 2020 lens, like you said. Yeah. Um, it, it felt like one of the things the Lakers did was they, they played Andrew Bynum a whole lot less. And they, mm. they started playing Lamar Odom and Trevor Ariza together and use that versatility to, to spread the floor uh, and, and try and negate Denver's bigs. And, and that was something that the Lakers did really well against the Magic was they took Bynum off the floor and were able to match up with the Magic's perim- you know, length on the perimeter. I mean, if, if there's one team that, that could boast, you know, if there was another team that could boast two 6'10 guys that could defend on the perimeter, it was it was Odom. It was the Lakers with Odom, Odom and Ariza. And, and that was... Definitely something that I think the Lakers had. They, they could they could play pretty much any style, the more traditional two big style, as well as the 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 two, as well as the the kind of more modern stretch four style that 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 the Magic were were playing with. I think that that probably has a lot to do with it. Denver as a team just shooting so poorly from the three point line. I mean, Carmelo shoots twenty five percent over the series. Chauncey thirty three. J.R. Smith twenty nine. I mean, they just um, Denver needed to have some advantage somewhere. They were evenly matched just basically top to bottom and Denver needed an advantage and they didn't get that. So um, to me, that that was probably one of it. But again, you know, the Lakers had Kobe, they had Powell. Those, they probably had the number one and I don't know, number three best player in the series. And often when that you have that, you win. Yeah. And, and honestly, like it's, it's funny you mentioned that, that that's kind of what happened to the Magic in the finals too. So maybe the Lakers were just really good at defending the three-point line. And, and I think I think we both, you know, are at least coming to the agreement that while the the Magic and the Nuggets both got their shots in on Los Angeles, that the Lakers were the right champions of, of 2009. But um, the, the question, I think the ultimate question that that I had for you um, and that, that kind of Carmelo Anthony uh, brought up is who would actually win this series? Um, if the Nuggets face the Magic, who would you take and why? I think I would take the Nuggets, and I, I feel pretty good about it. Um, you, the, he, the one area that I think would give me a little bit of pause, the Magic, just that season, 2009, took a lot of threes, almost as many as Mike D'Antoni's Knicks. I think they were second only to them and, and only second by a tiny amount. 
Um, they also allowed the, the third, I think, fewest three-pointers. So, again, they were just ahead of their time, and Denver ne not necessarily was um, in that same way. But if you look at strengths, you know, Jameer Nelson was a strength of that team. He's a fantastic point guard. Chauncey Billups was as well, and he was bigger. I, I think that's an advantage, Denver. Dwight Howard is obviously the key piece, but Denver just had so many guys to throw at him and so many fouls to give. And Denver played an extremely physical brand of basketball in their front court. Nene, one of the strongest players in the NBA. Kenyon Martin, there's a play against Dallas in like game one or two where it's it's three minutes into the game and Kenyon just, just like – elbows dirt to the ground and stands over him for no reason just kind of like one of those you know i'm gonna That's what you gotta do in a playoff series i mean <laughs> and, and we know dwight you know obviously in his career and some of this stuff is a little bit overstated but you know you could rattle him and, and it's oh, all sure. about could your could your best player be rattled and if ever there was someone to rattle him it was going to be birdman and kenyon and nene and and, and and i would and i would say this uh nene always did a very good job against dwight because he had that low base he wouldn't let him get to his spots Dwight, nobody Dwight could, move could not Nene. move him. Yeah, yeah, nobody could move Nene. He was he was as strong as anybody. I think so. I think I, I think I looked up how they played in the two games that they played against each other. Um, the first game that Orlando played Denver, Orlando won big in Denver, but Carmelo Anthony didn't play. And then the second mm. game that Denver won in Orlando in 2009 uh, was in the time before the Magic acquired Rafer Alston, so they were still starting Anthony Johnson playing Teron Lue, which I think pretty much every Magic fan just throws those sets of games out because the Magic were just that, – that was not the Orlando Magic of that season. Um, but Denver won that game in a very low-scoring kind of physical affair. Dwight, I think, finished the two games – with 30 total points and I think 28 or 29 rebounds. He's almost even between rebounds and points and, and not in a good way. So I, I do think that the Nuggets would have given Dwight Howard a lot of problems. And I, and I think they would have been able to defend Dwight essentially one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, right, you, know, right. you know, he yeah. got a lot of re he got a lot of rebounds, but he didn't a score lot a lot of points. Yeah. Exactly. And so I do think that Denver possibly could have played Dwight one-on-one, -on -one, which is essentially, I mean, essentially what like the Atlanta Hawks did in the 2011 playoffs against Dwight Howard and, and that 2011 team nowhere near as good as the 2009 team was they had Al Horford, John Collins, Zaza Pachulia. They had three guys. They threw him at Dwight said, use all six of your fouls. We're sticking on everyone else. We're going to single cover him. And, and, and the Hawks beat the magic that series. They, they got close games. Jamal Crawford hit some big shots and, and, and they, they easily beat the magic. And that was kind of the formula to beat Orlando at the end of the day. Cause they didn't have a guy that could score off the perimeter um, that, that so many of those high level playoff teams have. Denver, both teams were very good at this, but Denver led the league in free throw attempts per 100 possessions that year. And and I just think Dwight, you know, that with both teams, you know, your best players, if they don't play well, are going to be, you know, you're going to lose. And I just think with Denver, they there was a better chance of them, one, guarding Dwight when he was on the court, and two, playing him off of the court just because they were so good at attacking and they were just kind of a super tough, relentless, you know, keep punching type team that – to me, that's how it would have gone. The only concern, the only reservation I have about it is that the Magic were just shot a lot more threes. And we know, of course, now that that matters quite a bit. So there was always that chance that they got hot early in the series and that changed it. But I think I think most times I think Denver was just a more well-rounded team and, and just better top to bottom. I think I think when I first heard Carmelo Anthony's comments and, and when I first and whenever I would actually think about this, if I ever did think about this, I think I would have easily said, oh, Magic would win this series in five or six. That team was just so loaded and 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 they played this kind of, you know, you know, trendy style that that, that would become the trend in the league. But yeah. 
after after going through it a little bit more and and kind of thinking about it a little more and actually kind of you know studying a little bit of that team, obviously not as much as, as you guys are over over at Locked On Nuggets and, and and on your site. Um, after studying it a little bit more, I, I I agree with you. I mean, I think Denver was a really dangerous team. Um, I do. Th- I, I think it would be a six or seven game series that would turn on one or two things. Um, the biggest variable would be, like you said, the Magic shooting. If the Magic come out hot and hit a lot of shots um, in that in that series, you know they they, they would win it. Um, but I think that Denver had a lot of matchup advantages. Um, Nene, you know, does a really good job on Dwight Howard. We saw in the actual NBA Finals, you know, Kobe Bryant did not have an efficient NBA Finals, but he was really just able to score on the Magic at will. And even though Orlando had such a good defense, um, you know, he was still able to get his. Yeah. And I think the ultimate wild card is Chauncey Billups has been a nightmare for the Orlando Magic forever. Even if the Magic had a healthy Jameer Nelson, which they didn't, he would have he would have had a field day on that Magic team. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if the Magic would have had a way to stop him. Um, you know, could you put Michael Petras on him and and hide Ray for Alston on a J.R. Smith or or on on one of the other players that the Nuggets had on the perimeter? Maybe, but Chauncey Billups was so good. He is the definite wild card. Um, I, 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 you know, I still have a hard time believing the Magic would go cold so often, or they wouldn't be able to figure some things out. Um, I would probably still say Magic in seven. I believe Orlando would have had home court advantage in that series. Yeah, um, they but I think it would have been a very, very close and a very, very entertaining series. Um, you know, maybe the Magic aren't as nervous. I think having to play the Lakers in your first finals is yeah, very daunting. I think, yeah, I think that was honestly, I think that was a lot for both teams. Was just that that whole like the Lakers were the team, Kobe was the guy, and both the Nuggets and the Magic are like, you know, they're small market fringe, not popular teams. And it was it was both teams is for the for the most part. It was their first time that deep in the playoffs. And and I yeah. do think there is something to playoff experience. Like totally. you grow into a finals team. You don't if you become a finals team overnight, and, and Magic fans know this more than anyone else with, with their two finals teams. If you become a finals team overnight, the pressure really gets to you. Like there, there's some something to, you know, we're we're too new to know what's going on. So the pressure doesn't get to us, but eventually it gets to you, especially, especially when you're playing a Lakers team that has all the attention and has all the extra extra oomph that the Lakers get when they go to the finals. Equally as interesting as the outcome of this one, the both teams just sort of are great examples of how fragile, uh, yeah. you know, success is for these, this size teams, you know, the Lakers and stuff. I think those teams like that always have a chance to be great. It's just, they can, they're always in it for one reason or another, but teams like the magic and the nuggets, the next year, George Carl gets cancer right at the all-star break. Nuggets are even better in 2010 than they were in 2009. George Carl gets cancer and can't coach the rest of the year. So they go on a complete tailspin and next year, Carmelo's gone. I mean, they went from almost going to the finals to completely broken up within the span of about 16 months. And it was, if you would have asked in 2009, okay, what comes next for the nuggets? You would have said, Oh, they're right back, you know, add another piece or this or that. But you know, out of nowhere, here comes cancer. And next thing you know, Melo's out to New York. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, kind of on the same, same vein, like it, it didn't take that long. It wasn't something that, you know, traumatic and, and, and tragic almost. Um, but, you know, the Magic got back to the Eastern Conference Finals in 2010. Like I said, I think the Magic were better in 2010 with Vince yeah. Carter on the team and, and all the moves that they made. Um, but they lose the first three games of that Eastern Conference Finals series. They're able to get it to six, but essentially they lose that, that, that playoff series and all of a sudden discontent enters the locker room. Like Dwight Howard's already starting to look out the door and, and eventually that breaks up the team as well. And, and eventually the, the magic are 
uh, go from a bright young team that seems to have a couple finals maybe in them, you know, a, a foil for LeBron James and what would eventually become the Miami Heat, but was still the Cleveland Cavaliers at the time, um, to a team that is still kind of lost in the wilderness after, after uh, you know, almost a decade after Dwight Howard leaves. Yeah. Yeah, uh, both. <laughs> it's so funny. I, I, I've, I've, I'm on record saying I don't think the Nuggets will ever win a championship. I just the the amount of things that would have to go right for them to do that is just like kind it's, of insane. So it is, it is, you know, like you said, for small, for small, mar- smaller market teams, it, it is a very, very narrow window. Um, you know, I, I think, I think a lot of people believe Orlando is a f- good free agent market. Um, I think it is, but. It's not a good free agent market in and of itself. It, it has to have something. There has to be a player there. There has to be an infrastructure there. There has to be a reason for someone to come and to take a chance on Orlando. And I imagine, you know, Denver doesn't have the same advantages that that Orlando does in Florida. I imagine it's the same way. Like you look at how, I mean, I think the way Denver has built this this year's team and, and the, the teams of the last two years is very much a model for for uh, for smaller markets. Um, you you build through the draft. You build through your development. You find value players on free agency you find value players and trades and, and you build kind of full teams now you know the question is can you win a title that way or are you just going to be kind of satisfied as a perennial playoff team that maybe makes a deep run here or there and and that well it I, always makes me laugh when people ask because people ask me all the time can you win a championship with Jokic as your best player and my answer is can you yes but let's look at the best player on the last you know 10 champions we go Kawhi uh, Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant, LeBron, Steph Curry, LeBron, Tim Duncan, like at, at Kawhi. At a certain point, you just go, okay, the guys that win are usually top three, four, five yeah. guys. It's not even you can be the number seven or eight guy, and it's like, oh man, you're a long shot. So, um, so I don't know. I, I the Nuggets, they got a guy that should have gone number one overall at number forty-one in the 2014 draft. That's a miracle. That will never happen again. Um, (laughs) they've gotten Michael Porter jr. To fall to them. They've hit on almost every draft pick from Gary Harris to Jamal Murray to, you know, Monte Morris at number 58. They've just had so many things they've hit on and they're still like the fifth, sixth best team in the NBA. And I just think like, my goodness, man, to, to really win a championship, you have to just have like LeBron born in your hometown or some other. I mean, like, and I, I, I still get a lot of magic fans who are like, you know, dissatisfied with being the seven seed, which yes, don't, don't be satisfied with that, but dissatisfied with being the seven being like let's tank let's go get the number one pick and i'm just like the you know the number one pick doesn't guarantee you anything hey you gotta oh, it's, it's anthony bennett about one out of every three times you it's, know like it's, it's not even it's not even just that it's if you go back and look at the history of the number one pick the last the last player to win the last number one pick to win a championship with the team that drafted him was kyrie irving with cleveland mm, yeah. lebron doesn't count because he left yeah. the last player before that if I'm not mistaken, was Tim Duncan with the Spurs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The number one pick does not deliver you a championship. It's it's yeah. all the other I mean Dwight Howard was obviously really close in 2009, but it's all the other things. And you got to you got to again maximize, you know, you got to get lucky and you got to maximize the picks that you do have uh to to win championships because unless you're the Lakers, unless you're the Heat, you know, unless you're one of those select teams that just happens to get guys um that in free agency or, or, or players, you know, move heaven and earth to get there in free agency. It's a lot of work to, to get to the top. And, and again, I think the 09 nuggets and the 09 magic prove it. It's a long build to get there. It's, it's taking chances. It's getting the right guys and having the right path to get to there. And then it can easily crumble very, very quickly. Cause 
discontent grows very quickly, especially when you're competing at a high level. If you if you're at a high level and and you you're no longer there, the the best players are gonna be like, how do I get back to a championship team? If if this team can't deliver me a championship, if this was their best shot, how do I get back there? And that's when they start looking elsewhere. Well, maybe we'll get the Vucevic Jokic matchup the world needs. Oh, we need oh for sure. We <laughs> we we definitely need that. Um I'm 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 thinking of that wrong that wrong footed Jokic shot from from November that was that I would I would oh, kill yeah. for right now but <laughs> but but yeah it's that's his signature shot it is I mean Jokic so that one incredible. was sort of a game winner it was like two you know two minutes left or something but it was a big there's shot like, there's like thirty seconds left when he hit that oh, shot oh it was only thirty seconds but it was a big shot it wasn't a, quite yeah. a game winner but that exact shot was a game winner when he shot it over the Utah Jazz so. Um, it's not wholly out of his book to go to that one-legged step back fall away um, when he needs to get a go-ahead bucket. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, it's it's been it's been fun to reminisce on the 2009 season. I I, I don't want to end this on a sour note and 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 and, and with the demise <laughs> of our teams. Um, what was I mean? Kind of retracing our steps then. What is the ultimate legacy of the 09 Nuggets? Well, what is what is it that that you know besides advancing so deep in the playoffs? What is it that makes the 09 Nuggets the, the, a, a favorite team in Denver? Like, how are they? Yeah. No, I, actually, that's that's the number one thing is they weren't just a great team, but they were interesting. They were one of the most interesting and popular teams in the league. Carmelo Anthony was one of the most popular players. His jersey was one of the most popular players. But Kenyon Martin, Chauncey Billups, J.R. Smith, like Birdman, they, I, those guys were all known. So you look at this Nuggets team now, they're going to win about the same amount of games, 54 games or so. But their players aren't famous. Their players aren't characters. They're not as interesting. Their coach isn't as loud and as breath. So uh, to me, the legacy of that Nuggets team was I don't think the Nuggets had ever been more popular, not just locally, but also nationally. And so that's why, to me, they are probably the number one team, not just because of talent, but because they were the most loved and popular team the Nuggets have ever had as well. Yeah, I mean, I think I think for very much the same reasons, the 09 Magic are still just so beloved in town. I mean, they just had the in, in Orlando at least they had the they have these just humongous cast of characters. Um, you know, from Dwight Howard when his shtick wasn't annoying, um, people still really like <laughs> people still really like Dwight Howard, and it was okay for him to be a little immature because he was you know was kind young. of very new to the whole. He was new to to competing for for something real. The expectations of him being the best center in the league weren't completely there yet. Um, you had uh, Stan Van Gundy who was you know just always making faces on the sideline and. And 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 being loud and he, and he, you know he's he's his own he's his own he's his own story in and of itself. You had um, Hito Turkoglu who was just a, a, a goofy dude, um, you know, for for lack of a better better word. He just you know he could he would go he would miss every shot in the game and then hit the one shot that you absolutely needed and take over games in the second half because no one had a no one knew what to do with a six ten guy who could who could handle the ball and was essentially running the point and and of course they had the three point shooting which was a wholly new style that. That again, nobody really knew what to do with, and so they were just a a really fun group that that everyone took to. Um, you know, they they weren't a team of destiny. They they weren't a team that anyone expected to go to the finals, and and especially for this Magic franchise, it had been so long since the team since the city experienced such a deep playoff run, and it felt very much their own. It wasn't Shaq driven. It wasn't you know kind of the Shaq right. show. It was everyone in Orlando pulling together, uh, and and just a really kind of gritty team that that everyone everyone loved. And, and even again, like I said, the 2010 team, I think was better. Um, but everyone still 
you know, everyone, I'm going to get, I'm going to get tweets telling me that no way the 20 team team was better. They should have never traded Courtney Lee. They should have kept Tito Turku. They should have run that team back. And it was just like, you know, the reality was they, they, they probably made the right decision. 2010 was probably a little bit better. Um, but, but the expectations for that 2010 team were championship or bust. And, and again, when you, I think when you start to feel that pressure, some teams rise to that pressure and get there, you know, the 09 Lakers certainly did, um, having lost in 08, uh, some teams, that's 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 not who they are and and they have their shot and they either they either take it or they don't and 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 now i've just ended on a down note um but you know the 09 magic <laughs> i think for, forever you know, honestly i would say outside of the 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 2000 heart and hustle team here in orlando which was a 41 and 41 team that didn't even make the playoffs um the 09 magic are probably the most popular team in, in franchise history as well well we both peaked yeah, we both <laughs> peaked we both peaked in 2009 if only we yeah. could go back to those days well, one day, might be well, fifty years from now, but one day. Well, we'll 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 see the Magic and the Nuggets play each other in the twenty twenty Las Vegas Finals here when when the season gets going again. <laughs> um, Adam, uh, it's it's been a pleasure talking to you and, and looking back at, at these two great teams. Yeah, it's been fun. Thanks so much. Bro. My thanks to Adam for joining us on the podcast. You can, of course, follow Adam on Twitter at Adam underscore Mares. That's M-A-R-E-S. You can also find his work at DNVR Sports. You can follow that at DNVR underscore sports as well as DNVR underscore Nuggets. He's also the host of the Locked On Nuggets podcast. Uh, one of the, honestly, my go-to guy for anything I need Denver Nuggets, not just because he's with Locked On Nuggets. He's, he's been a fantastic uh, blogger and, and writer uh, following and covering the Denver Nuggets for a long time now. So definitely check him out. He has a great podcast with, uh, I believe, Matt, with Matt Moore of the Action Network uh, over on Locked On Nuggets. So definitely, definitely worth your time and your follow uh, and if, if you're interested in following the Denver Nuggets at all. That's going to do it for me today. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic. Of course, follow me on Twitter at philiprr underscore omd. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked on Magic. So subscribe to the podcast on Apple Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Himbley, Google Play, Spotify, and all the fun places to download podcasts to your podcast-enabled listening device. Don't forget to go back into our archives. I did a long podcast discussing Dwight Howard's career last week on April 1st. So go back into our archives, wherever you download podcasts, to download that. I definitely highly suggest that to supplement uh, any information and any chat about the 2009 Orlando Magic. Um, we'll also have a lot of good content. I, I did actually a full breakdown of the series, of the, of the what-if series between the Orlando Magic and Denver Nuggets, including a simulated seven-game series, just like as if they had played each other in the NBA Finals. You can find that online at orlandomagicdaily.com. Follow us on Twitter there, at omagicdaily. Don't forget to check out the latest episode of Rejecting the Screen on the latest episode with Adam with Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlov. They go ISO with Sean Marion. He talks about his career in the NBA, some uh, the championship in 2011 with the Dallas Mavericks, plus his thoughts, on, some unwelcome thoughts he had about the famous Seven Seconds or Less book by Jack McCallum. Definitely a great listen. Sean Marion, one of the underrated guys in NBA history. But that's going to do it for me. I want to thank you all again for listening to today's episode of Locked on Magic. Once again, a happy belated 407 day to all my Orlando followers. 
a very happy first night of Passover tonight on Wednesday. I will be taking the night off as well uh, to enjoy my to enjoy a seder with my family, socially distanced, of course, uh, over over uh, FaceTime. But uh, I'll, I'll be enjoying the holiday as well. So I hope everyone gets a chance. You know, whether you celebrate, whether you're Jewish or not, hopefully, hopefully, get to celebrate a little bit of time with your family. Uh, make some time for your family for sure during these. Uh, difficult social distancing times. Uh, so, so just check in on everyone. Uh, give them a FaceTime. We have this wonderful technology that allows us to connect, even though we are not able always to be with each other. And, and, and honestly, we're encouraged not to be with each other right now. Still a great way to connect and a great time and great day to connect. We will be back again probably on Thursday. Thursday, we'll have at least one more episode this week. Um, but we'll probably be back on Thursday then. Uh, talk one more item about the the 2009 Magic as we celebrate the best teams in Magic history. Um, we'll, we'll talk a little. We'll we'll come up with a topic to discuss there um, as well. So definitely uh, looking forward to that. Magic Madness continues to go on on OrlandoMagicDaily.com. We might discuss that coming up on a future episode as well. So definitely a lot to get to there here, even though we're sitting in the NBA hiatus. But until next time, for Orlando Magic Daily and Locked on Magic, this has been Philip Rossum-Wright. I'll see you all again next time for another episode of Locked on Magic. You are Locked on Magic, your daily Orlando Magic podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.